if Jesus needed quiet time with the Father, how much more so do we? You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Anybody here ever feel worn out or exhausted? There's an old time saying, just plain tuckered. Is that an old expression? I think I remember, right? All of the burdens that you may be carrying, uh, responsibilities that are on your shoulders, just from life, right? From living in this world, our families, our concerns there, our personal issues, problems. But then we look out into the world around us, not just our, our own lives, our families, our neighborhood, community, but in this world, and the call of ministry to be salt and light in the darkness. And perhaps some of us, and I, I would certainly testify to being part of this too, is just what I would call that, that the free-floating heaviness of the COVID era you know, you sense that where it just it just feels like this burden that just does this cloud that just doesn't go away. So with that, maybe there there's spiritual, um, emotional, psychological, physical pressures, all of these things, and you feel like the energy that you have to deal with that, that your gas tank for energy to deal with that is getting perilous, perilously low, nearly on empty. I feel that way some days, (laughs) and I'm sure many of us here do as well. But we're going to talk about that today as we continue in our series here on the unique life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I introduced this resource to us last week, but I want to put it out there again. I know that there weren't a whole lot of us here in person last week, uh, but I, I hope that many were online for it. Uh, but if you didn't hear this last week, I want to give this resource to you. Uh, this is a great book by John MacArthur called One Perfect Life. And what he does is, is he has done a masterful job here of combining the various gospel accounts of Jesus' life and ministry into one continuous story in chronological order, as best as we can put that together there. And so it takes us through the, the life and the ministry and the death of, and the resurrection of Jesus. All of that and in in all of those gospel accounts put together a harmony of the gospels. But unlike many harmony of the gospels where you just have these separate columns, it's one text put together. I think you'll, you'll get a lot out of that. And so some of these events in the life of Christ, it's only one gospel covers it. And so we're just covered, we'll just go right to that text in the, in, the, in the Bible. But others, though, there's two or more that cover it, and he does a wonderful job of, of harmonizing those and putting them together then. So that is what we're going to use uh, for this, for our text often in this series. It is, the, it is Scripture. It's right out of Scripture. He's just harmonizing these different Scripture accounts then into one, te- one flowing story then. So for today, then, we're continuing, we're in this section four on the first year of Jesus' earthly ministry, and we're looking at fuel for the calling. 
We'll be looking at various passages in Matthew 4 and Matthew 8, in Mark 1, and in Luke chapter 4 and chapter 5. And here is the key idea that I want us to take away from this here today, and that is if Jesus needed quiet time with the Father, how much more so do we? Think about that. If Jesus needed time away from the crowds and the burdens and the responsibilities to be alone with the Heavenly Father, how much more so do we? So first off, a little context for our text. Again, this is the first year of Jesus' ministry. He had attended that first Passover in Judea, in Jerusalem. Uh, He had the encounter there with Nicodemus and saying, what, you must be born again. He had passed back up through Samaria where he met that Samaritan woman at the well, performed that miracle of changing the water into wine at the wedding in Cana of Galilee. And then we saw last week then that here is Jesus. He is gaining some degree of fame or popularity with many of the people for what he was doing and saying. But there in his own hometown where he grew up in Nazareth, he was rejected by the people there, rejected at Nazareth. And not just like, oh, we don't want to, we don't hear it. Rejected to the point of violently and and trying to kill him by throwing him off of a cliff. And so Jesus then has moved on from his hometown then of Nazareth into the rest of Galilee, into other cities there in Galilee. So our first text here, I need to tell you, we're, we're going to cover a good bit of material here today that we're going to go through the texts here. I'll, I'll comment briefly on some of the things there, but then we're going to circle back to a couple of verses there that we might easily overlook that I think are critical for us to notice and talk about. So here then, starting in this first section here, it says, and leaving Nazareth, after his rejection there by the people of Nazareth, says, and leaving Nazareth, he went down and dwelt in Capernaum, which is by the sea, a city of Galilee, in the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people who sat in darkness have seen a great light. And upon those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter, and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And they immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw two brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat and with the hired servants and went after him. So here we see then this calling, the calling to be fishers of men. He said, Jesus then left his hometown of Nazareth after being rejected there 
went about to the other cities of, uh, of Galilee. Uh, there were, of course, many Jews in Galilee, but there were many Gentiles in that area as well. In fact, there were sections that were predominantly or all Gentile. And so here is Jesus who has come, not just for the Jews, he's come for all people, hasn't he? And he is rejected then here by his own people, the Jews in his hometown. And now he is going into these other cities, Jews, yes, but also many Gentiles there. And he is preaching this message, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. To repent is what, it's a change of mind that results in a change of action, a change of life. And so he says, repent, repent of of sin and turn to God. Become obedient to the message of God for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And he encounters there as he's walking along the sea, he sees fishermen. There are many fishermen uh, in the Sea of Galilee there. And he sees there two sets of brothers, Simon Peter and James, and then John and his brother, uh, James, Peter and Andrew. Sorry, I mixed mixed that one up. Uh, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John, sees them. And he calls them to follow him, that he will make them fishers of men. Now, we might get a little confused. Well, wait a minute. He had already had a relationship with them. It's like, remember, when Jesus did not meet these men, some of these disciples, all at once for the first time, and they immediately followed him, but rather he met these men as when they were disciples of John the Baptist, and there was already an acquaintance there. And, and he would be with, they would be with him here for a time, there for a time. But now we're going to see where it's coming to the point where they are going to leave their families and follow him exclusively for this three-year ministry here. And so he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So instead of catching fish, they're going to catch people for the kingdom. That they were going to, that Jesus was going to work in them and through them, and they were going to be used by him to bring people to a knowledge of salvation to the kingdom of heaven. Text goes on to tell us then, then they went into Capernaum, and he was teaching the people on the Sabbaths. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now there was a man in their synagogue who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him saying, Be quiet and come out of him. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him in their midst and cried out with a loud voice, it came out of him and did not hurt him. And then they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? What new doctrine is this? What a word this is! For with authority and power... He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him and come out. 
And immediately his fame spread, and the report about him went out into every place throughout all the surrounding region around Galilee. So we see then here Jesus, his teaching, his authority, and his power. You know, Jesus, he, he went to the synagogue. He regularly went into the synagogue. He worshiped in the synagogue. And you'll recall, I remember last week, uh, we talked there, I said about how Jesus went, would go into the synagogue, that, as was his custom. Uh, how would you like to be the, the rabbi in charge of that synagogue? And there's the Son of God sitting in the, out in the congregation each week there, right? And so, And how, how about in the case of Jesus? Do you think that he saw all the flaws of the people in the synagogue uh, where he was, and yet he went there? And so some of us, so what's our excuse then for not going to church? Well, I don't like the, the, the preacher. I didn't like this message he said here or there. I disagree with that, or, or I don't like that hypocrite over there, whatever, right? Well, Jesus went every week to the synagogue, and so should we go every week to church then. But here is Jesus in the synagogue there, And the people were astonished at his teaching. Could you imagine that sitting there and and having the word of God opened up by the word of God and explaining it and teaching that? Amazing, don't you think? And the people were astonished by that because he taught as one having authority, not like the scribes. What does that mean? Well, In those days, if you were a teacher in the synagogue, a scribe, you would open it up and you would read it, and then you would talk about it. You might quote this famous rabbi or that rabbi. And that was the extent of the teaching, is what some other rabbi had said. But here, Jesus, he doesn't do that. He speaks with power and conviction and authority because Does anybody know the word of God better than he does? No. And they saw that. He taught with authority. He didn't have to consult some other authority and quote them. He is the authority on it. So they were astonished by that. But then they're interesting. Here was a man in the synagogue who had the spirit of an unclean demon. He was demonized. And here's this man. He is hearing the message of Jesus, and he's greatly disturbed by this, by the presence of Jesus. And he cries out, Let us alone! What have we to do with you, Jesus? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. He recognized Jesus, he wasn't just some amazing teacher, some amazing rabbi. He was that, but he wasn't only that. Who was he? He was the Messiah, the Christ, and the Son of God, the Holy One of God. Wow. But Jesus rebuked the Spirit. The Spirit came out of that man, and the people were amazed. Again, like he just speaks, and the Unclean spirits obey him. Power, teaching, authority, and power. So he was becoming famous. His fame 
spread and the report about him went out into every place throughout all the surrounding region around Galilee, he was getting popular. Text goes on to tell us, now he arose from the synagogue and as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now when Jesus had come into Peter's house, he saw his wife's mother lying sick with a high fever and they told him about her at once. And they made request of him concerning her, so that he came and stood over her and rebuked the fever. He touched her hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. Immediately she arose and served them. And when evening had come, when the sun was setting, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door And he cast out the spirits with a word, and he laid hands on all who were sick with various diseases and healed them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. And demons also came out of many, crying and saying, you are the Christ, the Son of God. And he rebuking them, did not allow them to speak, for they knew that he was the Christ. See here the ministry of Jesus in healing sicknesses, casting out demons. Here's Peter's mother-in-law was sick, a high fever, very sick, perhaps even sick to the point of death. But Jesus healed her immediately. And all the people were coming to Jesus then. The whole city, it seemed, was coming out to them. The whole city was gathered at the door. How would you like to be hosting Jesus? He's staying with you. That'd be pretty exciting, right? Well, the advantages and disadvantages. Here's the, one of the exciting things about it is you have the Christ under your roof. Imagine the conversations you could have. What's the downside of that? Imagine the conversation he gets. Yeah. The whole town is at your door, right? I know some of you love to entertain. You love to host people. You love to have guests, right? I know some of you don't like to do that at all. Well, how would you like to have the whole town? I bet even those of you who like having guests and entertaining, having people over, would get a little tired of the whole town at your door constantly, right? But there they were because he was healing and delivering them. And the demons recognized him, that he was the Christ, the Son of God. But he rebuked them. He did not allow them to speak. Why? Jesus did not want... Were were the demons correct? Yes, they were. But he did not want their testimony. It says, Now when it was morning, having risen a long while before daylight... He went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and the crowd sought him, and when they found him, came to him and tried to keep him from leaving them. And they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, I must preach the kingdom of God to the other cities also. Let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have been sent. 
And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, casting out demons, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. And then his fame went throughout all Syria, Gentile region, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. So there was Jesus preaching the kingdom for all people everywhere. Jesus was a Jew who came to his people, the Jews, and he preached to them. And some of them believed in him. Many did not, though. But he didn't just come for his people, the Jews. He came for all people everywhere. And it wasn't just, he didn't just come for the people who were living then. All people everywhere then. He came for all people everywhere for all time. Including us here today. So here was Jesus. It was early in the morning. He arose. He went out to a solitary place and there he prayed. And even there, he was found, right? People are looking for him. He was a man in demand. But Jesus said, we need to move on from here. There were other cities, other towns where they must go to preach. Preaching, healing, casting out spirits. And by the way, it's just a kind of a, a, a small note here. I'd like us to notice, notice there in that last verse where it says he was, uh, he was healing sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. What's the significance? You notice there's a distinction there between those who were demonized and epileptics. Right there in the text, you see them together. Jesus knew the difference, and they knew the difference between a spiritual problem and a physical problem. Some say, oh, well, demonization, that's just some, that was just an ancient superstition. It was actually just like epilepsy or something like that. No, they knew the difference. Now, do you think that demonization only occurred back in New Testament times, Bible times? Still happens today. Trust me. And it's not epilepsy. He knew the difference, <laughs> and he healed them both. It was on, so it was, as the multitude pressed about him to hear the word of God, that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, that's another name for the Sea of Galilee, and he saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. 
And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Strange response, don't you think? For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. See this miraculous catch. Jesus had already told them to follow him and that they would become fishers of men. But they didn't immediately forsake all and follow him all the time. It was a process at first here in the earliest days of Jesus' ministry. Have you had to have God instruct you repeatedly about something that he's doing in you? Well, that was the case here with them. He had already told them, but now he repeats it here. What? You will be fishers of men. And here is this miraculous catch. Why? Because Jesus wanted to help Peter's bottom line uh, in the business? No. He was sending a message, right? And what was that message that there would be many who would respond to the preaching of their message. A great number, in fact, that would respond to the preaching of the message here. But we might wonder, it seems a little strange how Peter reacts. We might think, if you were there, I was there, you might think we'd be so impressed, we'd think, Wow, this is incredible, Jesus. This is exciting. How did you do that, right? But that's not how he responded. What did he say? He fell at his knees and and he said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. So what's happening there? Peter is recognizing and the light is kind of slowly turning on that Jesus... Yes, he's the Messiah. He's the Christ. Peter already knew that, but he was getting greater insight into who this Jesus was, that he is a man, yes. He is Messiah, yes. But who else is he? He's God. If you suddenly found yourself in the presence of God like that, do you think you might become suddenly very, very much aware of your sinfulness and your unworthiness. And I think that's what happens here. Peter has an insight into who Jesus is, that he's God, and he becomes profoundly aware of his sinfulness and his unworthiness. All of us are sinful and unworthy, aren't we? But just as Jesus called Peter, He calls you and me unworthy, sinful, unworthy people to follow him and to become fishers of men. So the text says what? So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. They became full-time disciples, if you will, at that point. It says, And it happened when he was in a certain city that, behold, 
A man who was full of leprosy saw Jesus, and he fell on his face and worshipped him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, put out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once. He charged him to tell no one and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter. The report went around concerning him all the more, so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places. And they came to him from every direction. Great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. Great multitudes and endless need. Jesus cleanses a leper. He tells the man, don't tell anyone. Why? Well, if we read the text, we find out why. The the reason why is right there in the text, right? The man went and told people anyway. Have to admit, it would be a very, very hard thing not to talk about, wouldn't it? But he couldn't help himself. He told people anyway. And then we see why Jesus says what? The report went around him so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city. He was getting enough attention as it was. All right? And that's why. But I want us to see this picture here. Imagine if you were Jesus and, and Simon or P, and, and James or John and you're there with Jesus. You imagine that sense of just endless need Great multitudes, people coming to you. You can't even, you can't get away. There's no escape, it seems. Endless need. Now you might think, well, Jesus is God. He couldn't get tired. Well, he was and is God, right? But he is also what? Man, he's human. Could the man Jesus get tired and worn out? You bet. Absolutely. Endless need, constantly pressing down on him. So I want us, though, to contemplate two, and all the texts that we've just read there. I want us to contemplate for a moment then here two simple little statements that might be easily overlooked, but that I think are critical for us to see and to emulate, to imitate, because it is fuel for the calling. It's, it's the gas in the tank for the journey. What were those two solitary statements there? Now, when it was morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he what? prayed. And then, 
the very last thing we read, after all of that, the great multitudes and the endless needs, the constant burdens and responsibilities, says what? So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. So I think that are, it's easy to miss those, isn't it? And all that we were reading, it's e- reading there, it's easy to miss those, isn't it? But I think that is a critical thing for us to notice and to imitate. If Jesus, in his humanity, needed to withdraw and get away for a little while and pray, to the Father, how much more so do you and I, right? So I was reading through this. I'm reminded of a lesson on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. I've shared this with you before. I want to remind you, if you've heard it before, remind you of this. If not, you've heard it before. Well, you're hearing it now. So I I had the the privilege of uh, visiting Israel It's hard to believe that was uh, six, almost seven years ago now. But when I was there, uh, we were in Capernaum, and we withdrew a little bit from Capernaum, and we went to kind of a, a place alongside the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and one of the great things about this trip is is it wasn't just seeing these places, it was having um, great quality instruction, devotional time while there in these places. And so there we were, not far from the house where Jesus stayed in Capernaum, and not far from there, the synagogue where he taught, the ruins of it, of course, but nevertheless there. And so not far from that, there along the beach there, in the, on the beach, we read this passage about all these people that were coming to him and how the whole city was gathered at the door right over there and how Jesus withdrew, how he, depart, he rose long before daylight, went out, departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. Perhaps it was that very spot where we were standing and he prayed. And we had a, one of our, our teachers, there was Erwin Lutzer and Michael Rodelnik of uh, Moody Bible Institute, but also a, a friend of, uh, of Michael's named Larry, a pastor, Larry Feldman. And he was giving the devotional thought there. And he read through that, that passage there, and then he came to that point where it said, Now when it was morning, having risen the long before daylight, he went out and departed to his solitary place, and there he prayed. And he wanted us to understand, to take away, that we need to pray every morning to do God's work each day. That that's the fuel for our tank, is what? It's that quiet time with the Father in his word, in prayer. That is the fuel for the journey. That's the fuel for the calling. You know, if you get in your car and you don't bother to check the gas tank and you've got a long journey ahead, you may drive for a little while, but let's say you've got a 
quarter of a tank of gas, you'll drive for a little while, but then what's going to happen? You're going to run out of gas and you're going to be broken down on the side of the road, right? So what do we do when we're going on a journey, a long journey? We fill up the tank with gas, right? But even on a long journey, we need to refill, don't we? That if, you're, if you have a full tank of gas, that's going to be fine to take you on a short trip around our area here. But if you're driving many hundreds of miles, what's going to happen? A fuel tank is going to go. And what are you going to have to do? You're going to have to pull, pull to a gas station and fill up the tank again, right? And you know, in the same way, our spirits, we get drained by life, don't we? We get drained by problems and challenges. We get drained by the endless need all around us, don't we? So what do we need to do? We need to fill up our spiritual gas tank. And how do we do that? By spending time in a lonely place with the Father and praying. We need to pray every morning to do God's work each day. And so if the Son of God needed to start his day with prayer, how important is that for you and me? You know, later that evening, I was able to have a conversation with, uh, with Larry. And he told me something that I really needed to hear, that I think that that was of, of the many wonderful experiences or things that there were on that trip. I think one of the, the key moments for me was this conversation I had with him. You see, when I went there, I was feeling dangerously like my tank was dangerously empty. I was feeling pretty burnt out. Uh, I was feeling like I was on the edge of ministerial burnout. So I went there and, and uh, was able to sit on and have a, a, a conversation with, with Larry then, and I told him I appreciated what he said, that that really stuck with me, that I know this, this may surprise, but did you know even, even pastors can sometimes neglect prayer because we think we're so busy we've got to get into our day and we don't even think about it anybody surprised by that but it's true right i'll tell you something else that can happen in ministry and it's a very very uh deceiving thing here but it's true did you know that also you can become tempted when you're in ministry to substitute your sermon preparation and Bible study preparation, and discipleship preparation, to substitute, to use that as your time alone with God. And guess what? They're not the same thing. Preparing for a sermon or a Bible study is not the same thing as alone time with God. Talking about the things that God wants to say to you. They're not the same. So I needed that reminder. But here's the other thing, as we were talking, that he told me that it's like, I really needed to hear that. I've shared this with you before. And I need to be constantly reminded of this too, even now. But he told me something. He said to me, God doesn't want what you do for him. He wants you. I think that's critical to understand that. Has God placed a calling on our lives? 
Absolutely he has. Has he given us tasks to do? Absolutely he has. But is that his primary interest in you, is what you do? No. God wants you. He wants your heart. It's like, oh. doesn't mean that what we do isn't important or significant, but it means that that isn't what God is primarily concerned with, with you and me. He, in fact, he doesn't even need me. He doesn't need any of us, does he? But what does he want? He wants our hearts. He wants you. He wants you to know him. He wants you to know his love. And that's the fuel. That's the fuel. That's the spiritual fuel for the tank to go out and face the endless need. God's love. Knowing him. There's a great local author named Chuck Beckler. Uh, <laughs> he was here just a couple of weeks ago. I want to recommend He's written a book called The Art of Private Worship. You can find it on Amazon. Or let me know. I can get one. I, I happen to, I, I, I've got a special arrangement with the author. I can probably get it to you cheaper than Amazon. All right. So if you're interested, you can get it on Amazon or let me know and, and I can get it. Get some copies, all right? That I think is just a wonderful resource, a short little book that talks about what does it mean to withdraw to a lonely place and pray? Private worship. This is a good resource for that. Here's another one. Some of you like to read. Here's another one I want to recommend to you. I've recommended this one before. Here it is. It's called Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Donald Whitney. Now, some of you, when you hear that word disciplines, you're immediately like, uh, kind of turned, turned off by that. But I want to tell you, it's actually exciting. He, believe it or not, he, what I love about this book is, first of all, it is thoroughly biblical. Thoroughly biblical, okay? With these practices. These are tools. These are tools that God has given you and me to know him better and to be transformed or changed into greater godliness or Christ-likeness. So a critical theme throughout this book is each one. He deals with things like Bible reading and prayer and stewardship and service, evangelism, worship, all of these things. He deals with them, and each one of the little, the, the, the subtext there under it is, is prayer for the purpose of godliness, service for the purpose of godliness, stewardship for the purpose of godliness, Bible reading for the purpose of godliness, that that is the purpose of all of these spiritual disciplines, is godliness. And what is godliness? It's knowing God and being changed to be more like him. Knowing Christ, being changed to be made more Christ-like over time. And that is a wonderful resource to help us understand those biblical disciplines and it, it actually, it'll, it'll excite you. It'll excite your heart. So what? Sorry. If Jesus needed quiet time with the Father, how much more so do we? How much more so do I? How much more so do you? So I would challenge us with this. Here's our takeaway. Resolve. I know some people like New Year's resolutions. Others hate them, okay? But... 
Here's, here's a, here's a this, I'm not going to call this a New Year's resolution. I'm going to just call this, this is a good resolution any day of the year, all right? Resolve to make time alone with the Father, to get away. I have some people in the church that are constantly reminding me of that. We all need that reminder, don't we? Make that time to get away, to be alone with the Father. Fill up your spiritual gas tank. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, that you are not concerned primarily with what we do for you. You don't need us at all, but you give us the privilege of being instruments in your hand. God, what you are, what you are concerned for is our hearts, that you want us to know you. It's relationship. It's knowing your love. And through that knowledge of you and through that experience of your love, you grow us and change us. You fill that spiritual gas tank within us to go out to face our day, to confront the challenges, to be salt and light, to be ambassadors for Christ. The need is endless, Lord, but your love is greater. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org. 